Almighty God, you, um, your reign knows no end. Lord, your sovereignty is perfect and full. And Lord, we just, your humble servants, your children, Lord, sometimes we, we struggle even, even knowing how to, how to approach such a holy and righteous God. So, Father, this morning I pray that you humble our hearts right now. Lord, all that we may have brought into this, into this space and time where we may be distracted with things that are going on in our, in our household, in our world around us. Lord, we may have come in with a, with a heart of pride, thinking that we've got life and the world by the horns and, and we've got it all figured out. Father, humble us right now. Humble us in the midst of a mighty God. Lord, so that we can release those, those personal things that we are grasping onto and holding onto in our own lives and make space, Lord, for your spirit, for your goodness, your holiness, your truth to fill our hearts with your presence and your teaching. Father, we love you. We thank you for this family. We thank you for this time together. And may it be a time that honors you and glorifies your name. In Christ I pray. Amen. Amen. Now everybody's probably pretty aware of the season that we're entering into, uh, the season of Thanksgiving, which then is followed by a season of celebrating Christmas or the birth of Christ. And one way or the other, uh, the November and the December season seem to be a time whenever people gather more than any other season. And probably, it was probably during those, those two seasons that, uh, that gave people the most heartache during the, the COVID lockdowns and, and the COVID, um, you know, the, the pandemic protocols, because we, we like so much to get together, we like so much to fellowship together, not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but family members uh, within our own immediate family. And the one way that we do that consistently, specifically in this country and in, um, in, in our, I guess, in our traditions, is we gather around the table. We gather around the table and we sit down for a meal. And when we sit down for that meal, I know how it is in your family, because just the way that it is in mine, that every time we sit down with those long-lost family members that come from all over the place in the country, we sit around the table and we cast aside all of our differences and we enjoy a peaceful, lovely meal together. Hugging, giving each other a kiss with that holy kiss that Paul talks about. 
greeting one another when they come in, greeting them when they leave, and, and, and everyone has just such a glorious, peaceful time. That's your family, right? I mean, it's mine. Now, truthfully, we know how it is. We know those folks that come, the ones that, uh, the ones that you're reluctant to invite, but you invite them because, well, they're family. The ones that come from far away, the ones that come from near, and we all sit around the table, and sometimes this is, other than a funeral, this might be the only time that we all really get together for any type of conversation or catching up. And the truth be known that when we sit around the table, in a lot of ways, in a lot of cases, the people that we're sitting around the table with, there's this tension that's around the table. Is it just me? Do we ever feel like we have to kind of pick our conversations wisely? Or just things that we know that we shouldn't say, or we know these kind of trigger points of things that if we really just want to end the night quickly, we can go ahead and say this one thing, and it'll all be done, everybody goes about their merry way until next Thanksgiving. Well, the truth is, we all come around the table at some point, and this just happens to be the season when we do it most often. And I found that whenever we come around the table, we have these, this, this close proximity with one another, this fellowship with one another, these conversations that normally we don't have any other time of the year because we're not really around some of these people uh, very often. And in the midst of those conversations, we can, we can either find times where we can make peace or we can continue to be, um, oh, we can t- continue to be divided and divisive. We come together for the sake of mom and dad, and then we go home. Well, this message series over the next four weeks is talking about bringing the conversations to the table that build up, that bring reconciliation over rhetoric. Reconciliation, and that doesn't mean that We all have to leave agreeing on everything after we come around the table. But there's certain things that we can, as brothers and sisters in Christ, bring to the table whenever we gather as a family that really does help the health and the peace and the the spiritual prosperity of the family when we leave. Now, specifically this morning, I want to to approach a conversation that happens probably most often with families that grew up in a Christian, and I'm going to put quotes around Christian, because we use that, that's a very broad term, whether it's culturally Christian or whether you are a committed uh, Christian. But whenever we have these Christian conversations, we come together with other family members that may have been brought up in the church, that may have been brought up in the fear of the Lord and with the understanding of who Jesus was, But the truth is, when we come together as Christians from all different walks and all different experiences, then even that Christianity seems to be, you don't seem like you're feeling like you're you're speaking the same language in a lot of ways. So this morning, the first first conversation that I want to to approach is a Christian-to-Christian conversation. That we gather around the table with folks from all walks in our families and our friends, 
and recognizing that those around the table are also Christian, or maybe they are, again, brought up in church, or maybe they just say they follow Jesus. And truth be known, those conversations can be the toughest. They can be the most difficult to navigate. Because I can imagine you, probably like me, have various members of your family that have different experiences in their faith. And for a lot of us, we like to think that we have, we have the right way. Ours is the right way. And we want to make sure that person on the other side of the table understands that our way is the right way and their way is the wrong way. And if they're not experiencing their faith like I experienced my faith, then that's not true faith. I want to talk uh, this morning specifically from Paul's words that comes out of Ephesians. And the first thing that Paul wants to do is he wants to establish the fact that if you're sitting around the table, if you're sitting in fellowship with other people who proclaim the same thing as you, there's actually more in common that you have than you have in difference. Now, specifically, as Paul was speaking about in Ephesians, which is our verse to, I hope that you'll take some of these verses that I'm putting on the back of the bulletin and put them to memory. But these verses that I'm going to speak of this morning, he's specifically talking about the the centrality, the glue that we have as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, just in Jesus Christ alone. You see, we have to remember that at the center of a table that's surrounded by Christians with all different walks and all different experiences, there's still Jesus in the center. That's what we have to hope for and expect. And Paul speaks of something similar whenever he's speaking of the disparity between it and the, and the, the, um, the tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. Now, in the first century, there was, this, there was this same tension that maybe you and I feel even today within our own family. Now, the Jewish Christians obviously came from a very, uh, a very rich cultural heritage in which their faith in Christ grew through their knowledge, their understanding of the Scriptures, the prophets, and then into Christ post His resurrection. Now, the Gentiles didn't have that rich cultural heritage They only really knew of Jesus Christ post-resurrection. And Paul is trying to make the point that regardless of whether you come from this long, rich heritage of walking with God culturally or personally, or whether you just have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior yesterday, there's still a central figure that brings commonality around the table, and that's the thing that we need to focus on. And Paul says in verse 14 from chapter 2, he says, He, Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups, speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles, who made the both groups one. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the host, by, by which he put the hostility to death. Now what Paul is trying to say is that even these 
these polar opposite groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, what Jesus had done in order to bring these two groups together was through his death, burial, and resurrection, he created a bond of unity into which would, should eternally have, um, have this element of peace and unification between the two. He said that he made one new man, one new body from the two groups. Because we know that there is just one God, there is just one Savior, there is just one Spirit. So Paul says, from the start, let's recognize that we all need to find this commonality in Christ. You see, the first thing that he mentions was Jesus' work on the cross that brings our, our reconciliation between ourselves and God. So this kind of this vertical reconciliation. But then the kind of the, the sub-point that Paul is making is because of this vertical reconciliation that we have with God, there's also a horizontal reconciliation between man and man. That even though that your experience with Jesus may not be the, my experience with Jesus, Jesus is still the common denominator. And that's the thing that we need to focus on. In 2010, there was a survey, uh, a kind of a, um, a census, I guess, across all of, um, I'll say religious, but it really was Christian institutions. And they found that there are some 300, this is a, this is a rough estimate, 380,000 different churches in the United States. 380,000 individual churches. And of those 380,000 churches, there's approximately 207 give or take, religious bodies or denominations or, or families of churches. So the chances of us sitting around the table with someone that has the exact same beliefs, doctrine, theology, um, experience that we have is very slim to none. You probably have a better chance of winning the $1.9 billion next year, next week in the, in the Powerball than sitting across the table from someone that has the exact same convictions that you do. In fact, Paul knew that this was a problem. He knew that it was going to be a problem. That's why he spent the majority of his letters, with exception of maybe the, the, um, the pastoral letters, if you look in every single one of his epistles to the churches, there is a section, if not more, that's dedicated solely to finding unity and peace between the bodies of believers, between the Jews and the Gentiles, or between Gentiles and Gentiles, between Christians and Christians. He spent so much time making sure that everyone recognized we all need to be getting along because Christ is the central figure. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord's Paul speaking, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Verse 4, here's the key. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, and through all, and in all. 
Now, man, wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone that sat around the table at Thanksgiving or Christmas, they adhered to that? Hey, let's just, God, let's just find our commonality in Christ. He is one, the Spirit is one, God is one. We can find our commonality there, right? And the truth is, probably not everybody's going to buy into that. But you and I, because you're here today, and because you're receiving this message, now you and I have been charged, have been challenged with being that person at the table to make peace and to keep peace through the bond of unity. Now, the majority of this message where I feel like there's a lot of ways for us to grow spiritually in the Word, I think there's also some very practical things that we can do, that we learn from the Word, that will help us to be that peacemaker at the table, that will help us to be the one to kind of be the referee and to make sure that we're, we're keeping that bond of peace through the one God, one Spirit, one Savior, one body mentality. Now these, by all means, are not, um, it's not conclusive. But a few things that I feel like, if we were to stick to just a few things, we could end 99% of the tension around the table from Christian to Christian. And the first one is, for you and I, be genuine. Be who you are in Christ, in your faith, in your convictions. Be genuine. In fact, that's why we have our, um, our, uh, our vision. Real people with a real hope. Be who you are. Remain firm in your personal spiritual convictions. But also don't force your spiritual convictions on other people. You see, you can, you can find places in your own walk of faith that where other people might have liberty, but you have confined yourself to a particular way or work. Because as Paul's going to explain in a minute, we all have convictions that whenever the Spirit convinces us of something, that we have to act accordingly, otherwise it becomes sin in our own lives. Okay? If that doesn't make sense, let me explain really quickly. I used to know a man that I worked with who would not, would not play golf on Sunday. Now, I thought that was the, the silliest thing that I had ever heard. Play golf six other days a week, wouldn't play on Sunday. Now, he'd do other things. It wasn't like he was a very legalistic about work and play, but it was specifically golf. He would not play golf on Sunday. And he had this long explanation of why that was. Um, had his upbringing and how it had, it had kind of drawn a chasm between him and the Lord. He had such a desire to play golf that a lot of times it would, it would cause him to go off and play golf instead of go to church or be with other Christians or whatnot. But for me, I didn't have that conviction whatsoever. Now, between the two of us, I never made fun of him, never laughed at him for what a silly conviction that was. But for him, it was serious. It was serious to the point that he recognized that he was convinced so much in the spirit that if he did play golf on Sunday, it was sin for him because it was something that in the spirit he had given up for the Lord. 
And I needed to respect that. Remain firm in your spiritual convictions. Be genuine of who you are in Christ and what Christ has made you and is making you. But also recognize that your convictions that other people may have liberty to do things otherwise are not something to be forced onto other people. In Romans chapter 14, Paul talks of such an instance whenever he's speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles, again, Jew Christians and Gentile Christians coming together, or even Jewish Christians and Jewish Christians coming together, where some have felt the liberty to give up some of their, um, some of their um, dietary laws because they realized they were freed of those dietary laws in Christ. And some Jews felt like they needed to adhere to the dietary laws. Paul says this, and of course he's using the dietary laws as the, um, as the teaching point, but I think that the, I believe that the, the, the understanding is wider than that. It's good thing not to eat meat, drink wine, or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. So he's speaking of if you have two that are sitting around the table, one doesn't uh, accept or eat or do a certain thing, then as another person that's sitting around the table, you know what, respect that. It's not the end of the world, it's just one meal. Verse 22, whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Now that sentence right there is, to me, that's, that's the million dollar sentence. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. What does Paul say in there? Blessed is the person who doesn't bend on what he has been convicted of. If I come in with a firm conviction about what I am able to say, do, eat, or whatever, and because of the influence of the table around me, I give in to that particular conviction, then that's sin in my life. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by approving something, if I may add, by approving something that he has already been otherwise convinced and convicted against. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because if he's eating, because his eating is not from his faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. Stay firm on your personal convictions. You don't have to go into a long explanation about what they are, why you will eat something or drink something or why you won't. All you merely need to say is, this is just my personal conviction between me and the Lord. The second one is probably going to be the most difficult for everybody. I mean, I know a lot of you here, so this is going to be really difficult. So the second one is be, be mature, okay? And I've had a lot of conversations. I mean, being the mature one may be tough for some of you. All right, it is for me. I, I am, you, if you know me well enough, I'm a jokester. I, you know, sometimes I can be really immature. Indra's back there shaking her head. I know if, if anybody in my family is watching, they are, are in agreement. But be mature one in the faith. Be the mature one. Be the strong one. Paul talks about that very thing as well. He says that in Romans 14, once again in verse 1 through 3, he says, 
Welcome anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. You see, one person may believe that he can eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, that's not meaning that if you're a vegetarian, you're a weak person, okay? Let's get, get that out there on the table. Again, what Paul is talking about are those that are convinced and convicted of certain dietary laws and restrictions that they feel may keep them from being close to God. But the one who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. And then further on in Romans 15, he says, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weakness of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. Now let me be clear about this. Paul is specifically talking about, when he's talking about his neighbors, he's talking about believer to believer here. We're not, we're not talking about believer to non-believer. We're talking about between believers. Recognize that sometimes we have to be the mature one. If someone is weak in their faith, and they don't allow themselves to do something, or they give themselves more liberty than they should, then Paul says that we have to be the strong one. We don't please ourselves. Each one of us is to please our neighbor for his good and to build him up. Now, being the mature one, in a lot of ways, means not entering into fruitless conversations about ridiculous things that may be personal convictions from one person to another. Being the mature one, sometimes, sometimes it means even being quiet. Now, Keith Whitley said that you say it best when you say nothing at all. Remember that song? Sometimes saying nothing at all is the best thing that we can say. Sometimes it takes maturity, it takes strength in our faith to just remain quiet. Recognize that we don't have to be the one convincing and convicting the people around the table. The Holy Spirit does that. That's His job. And as far as I'm concerned, He can keep it. I remember one time, this is a very personal, we, we, we were having a family, it was a holiday, family holiday, uh, I can't remember what, I think it was around Christmas. All of my family had come together uh, to eat together, to share some time at a, at a cabin. And, you know, we know that we are on polar ends of the spectrum with our faith. Now, everyone is, again, quote, unquote, Christian in my family. But there are different, there are different um, strengths and weaknesses, let's say that, within my family. And um, post one of the meals... We were sitting around the campfire with me and my brother and uh, a couple of other family members. And let me add this. My brother and I, we are, we are kindred spirits. We are, very, we, are, we are almost synonymous in the way that we think, the way that we believe. Uh, we can finish each other's sentences. He's almost like a brother to me. And we're sitting, around, we're sitting around the campfire, and then all of a sudden this conversation comes up from another family member about a particular author that he was reading and a particular minister that he was following. And, and, and my brother's a firecracker. 
Now, I'm one that's kind of try to sit back and just listen. But my brother, he's like, oh, no, we're, this, this is not going to rest. And, and all of a sudden, he, they just laid into one another. Now, I'm sitting on the other side of the campfire with my feet kicked up, eating a s'more. And my brother and my other family members are just going at it about this one particular book, about this one particular writer. This, and it was a, a Christian writer. But it was all about the theology and the doctrine and all. And they went on for like 30 minutes and fine. And I didn't say a word. And finally, after about half an hour, the other parties get up and walk inside. And my brother just stands, sits there for a second quietly. And he looks over at me like, where were you on that one? I all looked at him and said, man, that was exhausting. <laughs> and we both just kind of had a moment where we just, where we just had to laugh. And he's like, that was really pointless, wasn't it? It's like, you said it. <laughs> Sometimes being quiet is the best thing. And here's the final thing which I believe. This, this is the golden ticket. And I believe this with all of my heart. And not just around the dinner table, but from Christian to Christian, but from everything that we do, even Christian to non-Christian. But specifically, whenever we're working with and we're eating with people from all different experiences and all different cultures in faith, just speak of Jesus. Just speak of Jesus. If the conversation turns to religion, just talk about Jesus. Don't talk about what your church believes or what you do in your connect group. Don't talk about your latest Bible study or the particular passage that you're studying. Just talk about what Christ is doing in your life. Just talk about Jesus. You see, because what happens is we get in these circles and all of a sudden we start talking about our churches and we start talking about our communities. We talk about our prayer groups and our connect groups. And we're studying this, and pastor so-and-so said that, and this is what I believe. And you know what? The truth is, all that does is just draw this tension, and it turns into this, well, my church is better than your church, and it's almost like those old, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. And the truth is, we all have the same daddy. Just speak of Jesus. Besides, your church, and as much as it pains me to say it, even partnership does not have the keys to heaven. Jesus Christ does. I challenge you to even whenever you're sitting around that table, don't even mention where you go to church. Don't mention partnership. Don't mention your past churches. Don't mention your denominational affiliation, your, 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 your convictions when it comes to theology and doctrine. And all. Don't even mention that stuff. Just talk about Jesus if religion comes up who he is, what he's done, what he's doing in your life, what your hope is in him. You know, Paul even saw the beauty in this simplicity, specifically whenever he approached the brothers and the sisters at Corinth. He said, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God, I didn't come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul, educated to the nth degree as a Pharisee, with, if you were to think about, you know, with, in the modern context, every degree, PhD you could possibly imagine in religion and faith, 
But yet he came to these people with a simple one-person message, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, that will make peace around the table. Just speak of Jesus. If somebody wants to bring something else up, just talk about Jesus. One of my favorite books, and I don't promote books uh, very often at all, but one of my favorite books was this book called Speaking of Jesus by Carl Medeiros. And I love this quote in his book. He says, what if the message of reconciliation that all of us can agree on is actually a person? Not a text, not a theology, not a doctrine, not a church, nor a religion. What if Christianity doesn't own Jesus? What if your church doesn't own Jesus? What if Jesus is bigger than our religion? You see, when we sit around the table and we just speak of Jesus, then there's really just one meal on the table. And who's to argue with that? Whether you're a cultural Christian or a committed Christian, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're a Catholic or a Protestant or a Pentecostal or cessationist or a charismatic, it doesn't matter because whenever you put Jesus at the center of the table, we all gather around the same table with the same meal. Make him the central figure. Let God sort out the rest. And when we walk away from the table, then the next year we can come together in peace. And we recognize, you know what? The conversation might turn to religion, but I'm just going to talk about Jesus. This morning, as we consider this central meal that we have around the table, as many, many different walks, and we have that experience even here at partnership. Folks that have come to us to be in this family from all different kinds of experiences, places in the country, uh, experiences in their childhood and in their faith. Some people who are new believers, some people who have been walking with Christ for the majority of their life. The meal is still the same. The central figure, the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, He's the one common factor that will draw us all together, the strong and the weak, the old and the young. If we focus on just speaking of Jesus, be genuine in your faith with him. Be the stronger one to just turn the conversation to him whenever the conversation's strand off into some other place. Then I can promise you next year when we all come around the table, we might actually even look forward to the meal. Who knows? Father, as we take this meal this morning, Lord, I hope that each one of us recognize the unity, the oneness that Jesus Christ brings to all believers. And Lord, so many of us have had so many different experiences and, and have followed different leaders and teachers. We have so many different convictions. 
We have so many different understandings of doctrine and theology. But Lord, one thing is true through them all. And if we turn and make our focus on him, Lord, we know without a doubt that we'll all end up on the same page. As your word says, one body, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one God who's in all and through all. Father, we thank you for bringing the unity of the body through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we celebrate that unity by maintaining that unity. Lord, that when we celebrate the brokenness of Jesus, his body, his spilled blood for each one of us, that the price that he paid to make one body, to make one man, Lord, was the ultimate sacrifice. So I pray, Lord, that each time we come around the table, we honor the oneness of Christ. the superiority of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. One Lord and one way to God our Father. It's in his name I pray. Amen. As we eat this morning, let's consider those things.